Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Hi, this is comedian and depressed alcoholic James Nokise, and you're listening to Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower, a podcast about headspace and happiness. For my safe space, the shower with fried chicken. This week, I'm talking to microbiologist Dr. Susie Wiles. We'll talk about social media. Oh, I'm so much more cautious now. I feel like I'm much um, less open than I was before. Social distancing. I remember just sat in the park and people would come up to me and go, tell me everything you know about Legionella. And I'd be like, okay, let me talk about, you know. So like I was their study aid. And social anxiety. And within Mm. two days of us being in lockdown, I was back sleeping again because I felt safe. Because I knew that we were now doing what was needed to be done to keep us safe. Some of this will get a bit real. The language, the subjects. So make sure you're in the safe space with your comfort food. And join us eating fried chicken in the shower. Hi, and welcome to Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower. I'm James Nokise, and today I am joined by scientist Dr. Susie Wiles. Hello, James. Hello. <laughs> um, a scientist feels like it's, it's the right, uh, technically correct title. <laughs> I, yeah. But in the wake of, you know, the global pandemic yeah. thing, I feel like it's, it's not quite enough <laughs> to sort of say what you've become. Oh, to New gosh. Zealanders, because what? What? Oh, well, first of all, what kind of scientist are you? I'm a microbiologist. Microbiologist, um, yeah. But I will, uh, I will specify. So I'm a bacteriologist. Um, right. So I, yeah, bacteria are my kind of area of interest. Um, but I've had a long kind of standing interest also in communicating science. Um, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I will basically upskill myself in whatever I'm kind of needed to talk about. Um, and when COVID-19 happened, I was like, okay, let me relearn some virology <laughs> yeah. and, um, and see if I can help get us through this. Because we first met a few years ago on the Cosmic Shambles tour, and we were both uh, performing on stage, communicating. Yep. You, science, me, gibberish. <laughs> and, you know, so I know that you're a very good public speaker. Uh, and you're, and I think we've done a, a couple of uh, corporate events together as well. Yes. You've been a speaker and yeah. I've been an MC, so I know you're good at getting information across. But in the pandemic, you sort of became one of the voices that was, was popping up and yeah. given the daily, you know, we had our, yeah. our daily update from our Lord <laughs> and Saviour, <laughs> Ashley. And <laughs> but then we had yeah. people like you who are also sort of there on a daily basis yeah. kind of putting things in order. Yeah, um, so I guess that kind of... I have played this role in New Zealand before when we've had um, kind of microbiology-related crises. So, yeah. you know, we've had um, the Fonterra botulism scare. Yeah. Uh, what, oh, when, when Ebola was happening a few years ago. Do you so, know? You know these <laughs> Back are, in the good so, old days. <laughs> yeah. um, so I guess I've spent, like, the last 10 years uh, kind of developing those skills of how do you communicate, you know, mm. kind of complex stuff, mm. microbiology-related... 
and then, yeah, when COVID-19 happened, it was like, okay, this is, uh, yep, I will do this. And then when it became clear, I guess, that this was just so much more than we'd ever experienced before, yeah. um, then I just, I actually put my kind of main job aside and said, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try and keep up with the, the studies that are coming out. I'm going to try and, and just, yeah, do whatever's needed because I felt like I had the right set of skills, like mm. the kind of the microbiology knowledge about infectious diseases because that's my research area. So I've, I'm also really interested in transmission of diseases. So mm. I kind of like have that sort of expert knowledge, um, but also the sort of communication skills that were like, okay, well, let me help you understand what we're all trying to understand at the moment. Um, and, and, you know, we're not, uh, it's not over yet by yeah. any by any stretch of imagination. It's just no. and and actually that's something kind of I'm want to talk to you about was <laughs> was how this is gonna how this feels for us yeah. um, because we're in a really weird position in New Zealand a yeah. great but weird position absolutely um, and how that's gonna play out for us in the future is well, making me lose sleep at the moment. Okay, well we absolutely are gonna talk about <laughs> that. Uh, we absolutely are gonna talk about that, but we. Also, going to talk about you are the first guest. This is my stomach rumbling. I don't know that's <laughs> coming ready through. For the chicken. <laughs> but I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. Like, there the, is so much chicken. Yeah, well. I don't know what the microbiology is of my stomach is right now, but you're the first guest that's ever. Bless you, Susie Wilde. Dr. Susie Wilde. You brought chicken. Yeah, I, well, I just clearly did not understand how I, this worked. Well, I thought as the guest. That's I would on bring us. We are the not chicken. the clear communicators <laughs> that you are because we did not communicate. No guest needeth bring chicken unto the shower. So we have got chicken Double here. Chicken. But you've bought a blue bag of chicken yourself. Yeah, I didn't make it, so I'll just. I, I actually. I that's had a, all right. I had a, I'm going to open it okay, if that's all right. Open it, yes. What, what have you bought? Um, so I went to, um, I think it's a Korean chicken place. Amazing. Yep, so every box, is it still warm? It's yeah, still it's warm. still warm. Okay, this is how you do it. Yeah, the science um, works. <laughs> so I went to this uh, Korean chicken place um, in Ponsonby Central. Mm -hmm. And then I wasn't sure whether you were a spicy chicken person or oh. a not spicy chicken. Yeah, I go so, either way. Okay, so I kind of got one of everything. Okay. Oh, it's good. It's good. Mm. Oh, that's really good. Mm. Mm. There you go. So going back to what we were talking about, mm. how oh, there's a bit of spice there. <laughs> <laughs> like a foghorn. How have you found uh, the past? What's it been four months for you? Uh, months? Well, no. So for me, it started. Uh, so I was in the UK for Christmas. Came home about the middle of January. I think I got oh, back. Oh, just, just before it hit? Yeah, so I, I got left, back. I left at the end of January. Right. Yeah. So I, I got back on mm. something like the weekend, mm. and then there was basically a call from various media outlets going, can you come and talk to us about this virus? So I was like, oh, and I sort of heard as I was leaving the UK that there was this virus. Mm. Um, but at that stage, of course, we didn't know very much at all. Yep. And so my first, yeah, breakfast TV appearance was a few days later going, Right, what is this? And I was like, well, it doesn't look that bad at the moment. There's, you know, no reports of yeah. healthcare workers being sick, so it's kind of unusual, but not that bad. And then two weeks later, I was like, okay, well, this is escalating fast. And uh, yeah, and then from about February was when I basically just started more or less full time trying to keep up with it and things. So uh, January, first interview, six months, uh, uh, February, full time, so about more six early, months. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. It's been insane. And the, I mean, that, that so February, March was this just intense time. And I guess March especially, mm. as it was really clear to those of us in the know what was going to happen if we didn't act yeah. as we did. Yeah. I mean, I was, I had this really amazing, um, I've never experienced it before in such a length, but I started only being able to sleep five hours a night. Mm. So I would go to bed about midnight and then five o'clock I was like ping awake and I was really tired but yep. could not sleep. I was just completely wired and ready to go. I've had that during festivals right. but that's because of the intensity. Is that yeah. what we're talking about? Were you well in it that? was just a, um, it, I guess, well, kind of the way I think of it, being a scientist, was it sort of like a, the fight or flight mode. Right. So my body was just like, you need to be on, we've got a job to do. Right. So you're going to rest for like the minimum amount of time you mm. can rest while then being able to function. Um, and so I had this intense period leading up to the lockdown where I just was exhausted but knew I had to carry on. Mm. Um, and my body was making it so. <laughs> but I was also kind of like, not sure how long I can keep this up for. And then um, that basically led into uh, the announcement of our lockdown. And mm. within two days of us being in lockdown, I was back to sleeping again because I felt safe because right. I knew that we were now doing what was needed to be done to keep us safe. Mm. And it's so interesting that over the last few weeks, I've kind of started to go back into panic mode. So it's not, it's not, I'm not doing that same, like I've got a five hour clock to sleep, but I'm definitely, my sleep is not as good and I'm starting to feel much more panicked. So right. yeah, it's really interesting. Um, kind of fascinating. Have you felt that way before in your life? Is, is, there, is there a precedent for your behavior or is this something new? It feels like it's something new. I mean, I, um, yeah, I mean, I was that really swatty kid. Like, for, I'm thinking, you know, what would be really stressful periods of your life? So mm. uh, for me as an academic, it would have been like, you know, finals or something. But mm. I was that student who was so well prepared. Mm. I was like fully revised and ready for my exams uh, two weeks before the finals. That student. I know I was uh. that student. Mainly because I was so interested. I was just <laughs> so obsessed with infectious diseases. Thank God. That, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I ended up being just sat in the park and people would come up to me and go, tell me everything you know about Legionella. And I'd be like, okay, let me talk about, you know. So like I was their study aid. It was just this weird yeah. um, thing, helping other people prepare for their exams by yeah. like, tell us what you know about this. I, do, I don't feel like I've experienced anything like this, at least in the last sort of 15, 20 years. Right. And it's just, and I wouldn't want to experience it again, to be honest. Yeah, no, let's, I, think, I think 20 years is almost too short between drinks for this kind of, <laughs> let's, let's go. I mean, even like people go, oh, well, since the Spanish flu. And it's like, no, let's not do it on that every hundred year thing. Let's not yeah. do that. Have you done... What does, it, what does it require to to get through what you've what you've gone through? Well, um, is it a fortitude? Have you developed <laughs> like a, a, a fortitude? I don't think so. <laughs> um, no, I mean, what it clearly took was being put in a position of safety, right? Mm. Which was, um, I guess. I'm so grateful that we have a government that were listening to the people um, who were saying, you know, if we don't act this way, mm. we're going to see people die. And, you know, we don't know what the consequent long term consequences of people getting an infection are. So that could be really bad as well. It mm. might not just be death that's bad. It could be all the other stuff. Um, and so taking the line that, OK, we weren't going to do that, that we mm. were an, in a position in New Zealand where we could act fast enough that we would stop 
that mm. from happening and, and that, that that happened. So I'm kind of grateful. I don't know what would what it would have been like had they gone down the other route, which mm. was, no, we're going to preserve the economy mm. um, and just sort of try and slow this down, which is what other countries have done. And mm. what we're seeing now is like, oh, well, actually, that's a really bad strategy, mm. not only because it ends up with an economy that's trashed, people dying, but also now it turns out that the virus is actually way weirder and way more awful than we thought it was. Mm. And so there are all sorts of long-term, potentially long-term consequences for mm. people. And so you've got the burden of that as well. And so I don't, and that's why I'm stressed now. Mm. It's because we have an election coming up and, mm. you know, other countries haven't behaved like we have. Mm. And so I'm back now in the kind of like, okay, we're in this really weird situation where for us it feels like things are more or less getting back to normal. Like we can go to movies, we can go places we don't feel unsafe. We can't travel anymore anywhere mm. but if we decide to open up and kind of not stick with our elimination goal then we are only a few weeks away from ending up back where we were and where other countries are going and that now is so stressing me out um because I have no control over that, right? It's mm. not a, you know, I've done my bit. I've explained to everybody, mm. you know, what they needed to understand. And now the decision, well, actually, I guess partly the decision now is in the hands of the voters, right? Yeah. It's how we vote over the next, you know, in the next few weeks that will determine for us really what's going to happen next in yeah. this story. Um, and I'm finding that really stressful. <laughs> it's, it's part of the stress because you're a scientist and there are, you know, control factors are really important. No, it's about knowing what's going to happen. It's about being able to see it's being what to say, is so, so it's the burden of knowledge. Yeah, if that's a if that's a if, if that's that, a thing. That a thing? Um, I think so. It, I, I guess this is what it felt like weeks ago. In that, um, I felt like I could see what was going to happen if we didn't behave the way we did. Mm. Which at that time was a. I mean, we had lots of evidence. We had what was happening in Italy. We had what had happened in China. So yeah. we knew that, you know, if you didn't act fast, mm. you were going to have overwhelmed hospitals and all that kind of stuff. So we, we knew that as much. Um, but now we just know so much more because we now are seeing the impact of, you know, the, I mean, the people who are having strokes, the people who are having kind mm. of, you know, who months later are still unwell, things mm. like that. Mm. And so... Um, I guess it's that little bit of expert knowledge yeah. about infectious diseases, a little bit of expert knowledge around how they spread and knowing the kinds of things that people want to do that will help them spread. There's sort of two strategies that um, I decided to employ very early on. Um, so the one of, one of those was about the fact that when we panic, we often act in, not in our best interests. Mm -hmm. So I decided I wasn't going to panic. <laughs> Um, and that I was going to try and uh, maintain that kind of calm while in public and because I didn't want to act panicked and then panic everybody else. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing was this idea that, uh, that we have to act collectively. Mm. Um, and so part of that comes from a really amazing event that we did a few years ago uh, on um, Great Barrier Island about pandemics. So the idea was we went to Great Barrier Island, there's yeah. a bunch of us, um, to have a panel discussion about, uh, so what what could happen in the event of it was so in terms of Great Barrier Island, 
what if there was some huge pandemic yeah. and Great Barrier basically wanted to keep it out? So right. what, or, or if it was there, how would they kind of stop it from spreading and stuff? Okay. So we had somebody from Civil Defence. Mm-hmm. We had um, Karen Healy, I think her name is, who's a, uh, an author. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had this amazing guy whose name I've forgotten. I should have prepared better for this. Uh, who is, um, so he studies how communities respond to disasters. Right. Uh, and then we had this fantastic guy who's a virologist um, who was sort of one of the medical officers of, officers of health. And my job was just to basically emcee the thing, to right. just talk for everyone. And so the two things that came out of that were that, um, so this, uh, this guy who studies uh, disasters, he said the communities that survive best, that come out of disasters the best, are those that work together. Hmm. And he talked a lot about coffee. So he said, you don't hoard the coffee, you share the coffee. It's clearly from Wellington. <laughs> and he said, that's what's really, really important is this collective action. And when we think about actually most of our um, kind of disaster movies and books mm. and things, they're generally a dude with guns yep. and his arsenal and his women, yeah. you know, and it's like him versus the world yeah. with all his possessions. Hoarding everything. Right, yeah. which is not the way you survive. So it was that kind of trying to talk about kindness, about mm. collective action, about how we could help each other, mm. um, and then also not to panic were the two kind of strategies that I took in, the, in those early weeks was just to say, you know, we're going to be, we might be asked, it was kind of like, I hope we're going to be asked to do some really hard stuff. And so yeah. this is how we're going to get through it mm. by thinking of others, by not hoarding stuff. You know, if you have things, make sure that your neighbors know what you've got, what do they need, what do they have that you might need. So this sort mm. of of this idea about how we could think and work collectively, even if you couldn't actually, you know, be close to each other. Um, and it was so interesting that actually during, throughout lockout, uh, lockdown, I ended up talking to a lot of journalists and sometimes I would answer the phone and they were just like, oh, it's just so nice to hear your voice. <laughs> it was a deliberate thing that I need to remain calm. It was also partly because of my family. So I have a teenage daughter and I thought if I panic, that's not going to be a good look in our house. Like, you know, then everybody's yeah. going to panic, especially if the person who has expert knowledge is panicking. Then, yeah, you know. Yeah. So I decided for the sake of our house that I would um, try and be calm. And the one day it didn't work, mm. I freaked everybody out. And that was um, the day that I... So I, my parents were in the UK. Mm. Um, and as... So from January, I had been preparing them. They had been getting the house ready, mm. you know, just sort of like every now and again, getting little bits and pieces together. So yep. they sort of, you know, they weren't... They weren't hoarding stuff, but, you know, they had the things they need. Um, and at some point I said to my mum and dad, oh, no, it was when Boris Johnson did his speech that was basically every family needs to expect to lose loved ones. Yeah, I remember and that. And so it was like, okay, this is not going well. This, they're choosing the strategy of we're just going to let people die. Mm. Um, and so I, uh, I did a Skype with them and I said, right, you, we're going to book you a ticket. You're coming to New Zealand. Mm. Um, so this was before our border said shut. Mm. I was like, you're coming here. Uh, Pack your bags. Mm. I'm going to book your tickets. And my mm. dad was like, oh, just, you know, just give us a day or so to discuss mm. it. And then I spoke to them two days later. So we, it was our morning, their, um, their evening, and my dad said, we've had a really long think about this and we're not going to come. And I just said, okay, I can't talk to you. And I just got up and I ran off and I was just in like mm. almost hysterical. Mm. And I think that gave them a fright. And it certainly gave my husband and my daughter a fright because they very rarely have seen me that upset. Mm. And I think everyone was just like, oh my God, it's really serious. Yeah. Um, and I actually couldn't speak to anybody for the rest of the day. I was so upset because mm. to me it was just like, 
Okay, the one thing I could have done to keep you safe, I yeah. can't. And mm. now, I, and now, I, and what does this mean? This means mm. that it's probably going to be years before we see you again. Mm. And this was basically in early March. How has that? I know how it's been for me. I know there are many people in New Zealand because we're an island nation who have that experience. Mm. Whether Australia, America, even um, you know Europe. How's it, how did you come back from that moment? You know. Uh, what 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 calmed you down? What what got you back on track? I guess well, part of it was the was knowing that so they would run everything by me that I had been giving them good advice about keeping safe, mm. um, and that they were in a really privileged position that they could stay home and they could stay home for the foreseeable future. Mm. And so you know, my mum was one of the people. So in the UK, if you were vulnerable, you got a letter saying mm. you had to shield. So my yeah. mum was one of those people who got that letter. Uh, and so, but they knew that they'd already been, you know, they hadn't been having any contact with anybody for quite some time already by then. Um, and so I guess that, that, that what got me through was knowing that they were probably going to be okay because they weren't going to be forced into a position where they were going to be unsafe mm. um, because they didn't have to work. They could sort out, you know, having their groceries delivered. Mm. Um, but the flip side of that is the people who can't do that. And this is, I think, oh, I'm going to get upset. That's okay. This is why this We virus, can both get upset together. <laughs> it's why it's so upsetting. Yeah. Because it's the people who are not privileged, who can't shield, who have to go to work, that are the most affected, and they're the ones that nobody cares about. And that's also, I guess, why I'm so grateful what we, we did what we did, because we have those people here too. Mm. And the communities that will be devastated by this are just... <laughs> thank you. Right. Oh, it's just it's so upsetting to think that people don't realise this is happening yeah. um, and could come up that way. Oh, see, the tissues aren't just for the chicken. <laughs> They're also for us. Eating fried chicken in the shower. Shower cry if you want to. It's just extra salt. Okay, so we've, to, we've, yeah. done, we've done the hard because yeah. it's, it's hard for them mm. to go, we're just getting started. Mm. Someone like you who can see it and go, okay. Yeah. What, what, what are you doing for yourself? I'm not doing much at all. I'm doing really badly. No, um, you're doing, you're, believe I, me, you're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that's been absolutely amazing uh, from my perspective has been um, uh, basically working with Toby Morris, who's mm. the spin-off cartoonist. Yes. So um, it kind of came about slightly randomly. I'd been writing for the spin-off for a little bit about the... Um, about the pandemic, um, and then this uh, this graphic called "Flattening the Curve" started to kind of go around, and so I wanted to write about that. Um, but w what really struck me about the versions that I'd seen is they didn't really quite encapsulate the importance of our actions mm. in this thing. Anyway, so I wanted to write it about this thing, um, but I thought a visual guide would mm. be like a better version mm. would be really good. And so I um, contacted Toby Manhire, who's the editor I work with, to say, hey, I want to write this piece, um, and I think it needs a graphic. Mm. Uh, do you reckon Toby Morris would be interested? Because I've long admired his work. So I, I've, mm. I've never met Toby. I've just loved his Has style. a wonderful <laughs> book on the Treaty of Waitangi, yes. <laughs> if you go into uni books. Yeah, um, so I loved his style. Um, and he, so I just said, you know, do you think he'd be interested? And then he basically hooked us up. And then that was it. Mm. Like, we just... I explained to him what I wanted, I sent him the things, and then that started this incredible relationship where we've mm -hmm. now just worked on numerous things, you know, trying to explain to people about bubbles and mm -hmm. various stuff. Um, 
and so that we we're sort of it's almost like we're kind of winding down now because we aren't need it's not needed so much in New Zealand. But our stuff ended up going globally. So yeah, it was the power a, the of Australian government had it, which <laughs> Argentinian government, Argentinian government. I think the Brazilian government. Yeah, I, made. There were lots of yeah. It ended up somebody sent us a picture of one of our graphics being on a. Um, uh, like a bus stop yeah. uh, in Germany. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, so they had this, so they've ended up playing a role kind of internationally. And what, of course, what I can see is that this is, you know, this is not going anywhere internationally. And so I kind of feel yeah. like we need to be, um, we still need to be thinking about what's needed overseas as well as for us and starting to prepare the way for what we might need to understand for our future. So part of that might be about understanding vaccinations a bit better mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, because that's really the way we're going to solve this globally would mm. be with a vaccine and better treatments. Um, but yeah, so I, that's I still feel that kind of need to stay connected mm. because it is the biggest thing that has happened, yeah. like in my field, never yeah. mind in our lives. Um, and so, but doing that is is really hard when we're also trying to kind of get back to normal. But there I is guess. no normal. No, there, well, there really. isn't. Like, and, and in many respects, I'm grateful for that. Mm. And I really hope that we seriously think about who was vulnerable, why were we vulnerable, why, you know, why mm. were different communities vulnerable. Mm. And so if this is, well, this is not over, but it, and we could get another one in six months' time mm. or a year's time, how would we not end up being in the same position Mm. Like globally, but also as a country, how would we make sure that, you know, people had what they needed, Mm. that kind of thing. Um, And so I really hope we come out of this thinking about what kind of society do we want to live in? Mm. What do we value? Um, And then this is hilarious because when I talk about this stuff, I then end up getting heaps of abuse because it's like, stick to the science, yeah, not your values. (laughs) That's what I find really interesting because some people, and even then I understand if some listeners go, go, well, this was clearly a political statement. I don't believe that's a political statement. I don't. It's a value statement. It's a value statement. Mm. It's, It's a societal statement. We're a mental health podcast. Can I ask you, as... A scientist who is out there trying to talk science, when you see that science, for for lack of a better word, corrupted into politics... So you see masks are a political yeah. thing. When you see even talk of vaccination, well, that's a political statement. You're like, no, 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 this is science. Mm. I'm bringing science. What do you do with anger, frustration? <laughs> because like you mm. say, you've got a home life, you've got a school life, you're with students. Like, what, yeah. do you, what do you do to, you know, not get rid of it, but what do you do with it? I think the really important thing is to show the values. So this is this is also how my my approach to communication has changed. Because, so for example, one of the um, things I was asked quite early on, uh, so I started being um, asked for interviews by the BBC, mm. and and the question they kept asking me was, what evidence did you folks have in New Zealand that made you behave differently? And I said, well. Nothing really. Like, Mm. we all saw what was happening in Italy. We all saw what was happening in China. We Mm. knew what China had had to do to Mm. bring that first, you know, um, uh, outbreak under control. So we all had the same information. But we made different decisions based on what we value. Mm. So 
I was able to say, as somebody who, like, I really value as, you know, we, we are facing an organism, we don't know how it behaves, and mm. it could have all of these ramifications that we don't fully understand yet. So my approach would be, don't let it take hold. Let's do mm. everything we can as mm. a really sort of short, sharp shock to try and stop this from coming. Mm. What was really clear was other countries, other people took different approaches because they saw, rightly or wrongly, that the having to do that short, sharp thing, those things that were going to be really disruptive to all of us, to our economies, they didn't think that they were worth it. Mm. Well, they thought they were more valuable not to do them than to do them. Mm. So they were making a judgment call about what they valued. And, and that's, that's, that's what it comes down to. And so what's become really clear to me is that you have to, because we're looking at the same evidence, as a communicator, you have to explain what your values are so people know the lens in which you're looking at that evidence. Mm. If you're going to communicate it, you need to be able to say, this is what I value and this is why mm. I can tell you the stuff that's happening. And if you're asking me how I would behave, this is how I would behave because of what I value. Mm. So that's become the thing that for me was really important was just to say, you need to know who I am as a person mm. to know the lens through which I am looking at all this stuff. Um, and then you can decide whether that aligns with your values or not. So we can say what the mm. science is, but also the thing that's been really clear is that um, that evidence is changing. Mm. The more stuff you, the more experiments you do, unfortunately in a pandemic, the more cases there are, the mm. more you find out. And so the other thing that was really important was to say, look, this is what we know right now. Mm. And so this is what we would suggest, I would suggest we do right now, mm. but it might change. And I'm getting really frustrated that, that you know, in the early days, um, I didn't think it would play out the way that it did mm. uh, or the way that it did in, in China because there were differences between mm. us and China. Mm. Same as there are differences between us and New York. Mm. That was when we had kind of some vague idea about what we thought the virus might do. Mm. And then it turns out that's all changed and you go, okay, well, now this is what we think. Yeah. And I have people still sending me this link to, you said it would do this. And I was like, well, at the time, based on what we knew, that's what we thought. Mm. But the whole point about science is to be able to say, as the evidence changes, mm. you change your mind. That's, mm. that's how this works. And lots of people have really struggled with that because they're like, well, it shows you don't know anything. It's like, mm. well... Actually, when we didn't six months ago, we had no idea this thing existed, right? Yeah, we right. didn't know anything about it. And the more, unfortunately, the more people get sick, the more we find out. Um, so I guess part of the communicating this has also been to try and explain that uncertainty, to explain the kinds of things that we need to know. How would you do that? Mm. Um, that, it, that, this, that we're not just making it up as we go along, that mm. we're kind of trying to make judgments based on our best knowledge, but sometimes that knowledge is old. Mm. Um, so or we're making guesses based on things that look similar. Mm. Um, and this is a really hard thing for people to understand. When you look at everything... Uh, we've been skipping around uh, social uh, media and whatnot. Um, when you look at everything that's come at you the last six months, how has it changed the way in which you behave? Oh, I'm so much more cautious now about... Um, uh 
I feel like I'm much um, less open than I was before. Is, is that... It's really you, awful. Yeah. Uh, so that's been a bit sad because for me, Twitter has been this amazing place where mm. I can connect with people who aren't like me at all, but I can also connect with scientists and various things. Um, and now it's just this place where I'm just yelled at all the time mm. and there's some really nasty people. Um, mm. And I know that that's lots of people's kind of idea or experience of Twitter, but it wasn't mine. Yeah. You know, it was the place where, where amazing people organized for us to get Secret Santa presents for each other. You know, mm. it was just, it sort of was this amazing little place. Um, and now it feels like it's not that anymore. Yeah. Um, and it just makes me really sad because I feel like I can't be, well, I've always wanted to show people who I am mm. for this reason of them understanding my values. And mm. social media was one of the places I did that. Like I've been on there for a long time and I've always wanted to show that there was more to me than a scientist. Mm. You know, that I have interests, that I um, like a bake, I've, you know, obsessed yeah. with Lego, various things like that. I always wanted to show that part of me. Um, the kind of like the rounded individual. And I feel like I can do that. I'm really second guessing whether this is, is this something I should say, is this not something I should mm. say? Um, partly because I'm going to get shit for it, but also partly um, is it just ammunition for somebody? Mm. Um, yeah, and that's just, that's just made me a bit sad. I mean, I if you want to show people your joys of baking uh, and Lego, my friend, have you heard of Instagram? <laughs> it's, I, a, it's such a lovely place. <laughs> but... Uh, is it a morning? Do you feel like it's a... Pri- You've done an amazing thing. And there's plenty of people who agree with me. So that's not a political <laughs> statement. That's just the thing. You're very sweet. No, no. No, that's not a compliment. That's a fact. Okay. You've done an amazing thing. Thank you. <laughs> do you mourn it as a, as a price? For, like, do you see it as a... As a like, the, the world can be sad. Twitter can be... Ah. Mm. Is it a, a price that you've had to pay for doing this amazing thing? Or do you just mourn it as like the removal of something that was part of you? Yeah, I just, I just mourn it. Um, and honestly, I would do it all again if needed to. Because I really felt like right time, right place, right skill set. Yeah. Um, that, you know, we all... I felt like, you know, we were a team. We are a team. We still need to remain a team of five million. Mm -hmm. And so that means each of us doing the thing that we are good at. And for me, it turns out that that's like talking about science and understanding, you know, infectious diseases. And so I'm going to do that. I'm going to continue to do that um, because that's what I can contribute. That's me doing my job. Um, And that has come with some negatives, which have been shit. Um, But I would still do it again and will continue to do it because it's more important than... I say this now. We'll see how bad it gets. <laughs> but, but I guess the thing I... So what I must say is, of course, like I know that there are huge numbers of people who are incredibly grateful for the role that I've played. Um, and it, I've had all sorts of things. Like people have sent me chocolates. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> I have, people have made dolls. I've just... like it's, it's been incredible. So there has been... Um, you know, I, I get pl- I've had plenty of lovely emails from people saying thank. I mean, I've had plenty of the others, but you know, I have to remember that actually the people who are abusive, um, they are probably they are in the minority, mm. and they're telling me something. They're telling me more about them than they are about me. It's often a way, and it's very sad. Mm. And that, that's also what's kind of I guess feeding into my anxiety of how <laughs> of how things are going to go for us in the future is that knowing that some of these people are very filled with hatred 
Uh, and that's very, very, very sad. Um, and I hope that they can get help with that. I mean, there was one person in particular who um, is not a bot, is a real person, and it just made me really, really frightened for the people around them. Like, if you're this frightened, if you're this angry at me, mm. a stranger... But not for yourself. You weren't frightened for yourself. A little bit, but yeah. not too much. I, yeah. I, I, I feel more worried about the people in their lives mm. than... But maybe that's also we have the, as humans we have this terrible trait of going what happened to me. <laughs> yeah. I think so that's anyway. how we got into this whole mess in the first place. Well, yes. So um, yeah, I don't feel I don't feel like somebody's going to come and kind of beat me up. Mm. Um, but I do I do worry about some of these people and I do worry about the people in their lives because mm. they're very very angry. Um, and. Yeah, it is a really scary time, mm. but I guess we shouldn't... And maybe this is, again, all to do with stereotypes about how we're supposed to be behave. Like, mm. we're not supposed to show we're vulnerable and things, but mm. we are, and it's, like, it's completely natural to be feeling utterly freaked out and, you know, like, this, the, none of us have lived through this, you know. Mm. As somebody whose specialist area is mm. infectious diseases, who mm. has had a fascination with the pandemics for as long as I can remember, you know, I used to start my talks, mm. my public talks, by kind of saying what got me into infectious diseases was reading these books uh, that talked about tuberculosis and plague and, you know, and how these, these organisms had changed the course of human history. Mm. And going, imagine that. It's like, we don't need to imagine it, right? We are living through it. Yeah. We, are, we, are, we are literally seeing how disruptive these little microbes can be. And I feel like I'm never going to have to give that introduction again. Like, no, I feel be... like if you give that introduction <laughs> like in a few years' time, people are just going to be going, oh, God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, I forgot what to, but yes, um, pandemics, who, who knew? <laughs> I think, I guess that's the thing, right? You know, Can you please call them... your biography that? <laughs> pandemics, <laughs> who, who knew? But it is that kind of, you know, the intellectual understanding of what they do and how they, how, you know, how it's going to be and knowing they're disruptive mm. and they have changed human history. Mm. Like, it's one thing to know that. It's quite another to live through it. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's, I, it's not how I expected it to be. <laughs> Eating fried chicken in the shower. Take a break from social media with hot water and snacks. I want to ask you about end games. Because... It's funny, because my daughter and I are busy watching the Avengers, Avengers at the Wars. moment. <laughs> what? You're into superheroes? Susie Wiles, I'm shocked. <laughs> Uh, but that's the vibe, right? Um, is we think Endgame, we think of things like Avengers now. You know, that's uh, if you're a bit older, maybe you think of Thomas Becker, but you think of like <laughs> post-apocalypse. You know, you think of uh, maybe you know, think of chess. You you know, think of the final stages. From what you're saying, from what the data is beginning to show, from what we're seeing in the news, this ain't it. What are you doing for your mental health coming into that realization and maybe planning moving forward with, with this expanding pandemic? I'm not doing enough uh, is, is, is the honest answer. Um, and I need to really think about that and reflect. So I mean, my strategies, what are my strategies for coping? They often involve baking. Um, they involve Lego. 
Um, so what I need to do is make more time for that. Mm. But there is this massive tension because I feel like there's so much to do. And, yeah. and then you feel guilty when you take the time off to do the stuff that helps you unwind. Um, I've had a few days off. I'm actually on annual leave today. And okay. I am... Um, uh, you don't? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not at all. Uh, and that's... Um, Oh, that's sure. It's just awful. It's yeah. awful. But it's very, I find it very hard to switch off. And then I feel like I'm not really enjoying the thing I need to do to switch off because I'm mm. still thinking about the thing. And I don't know how I'm going to solve this um, other than being taken away somewhere without my laptop, without my phone, mm. <laughs> um, and just being made to sit in a hot pool, which would be really nice. That's but um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I'm not doing enough. We need, maybe we need to get all of uh, the people who've been right on the front lines <laughs> and just put you into enforced mental health quarantine when this is all said and done. Well, but that's the thing. When, when? when? I mean, it's, it's not for a long time. And well, that's how? what I don't think people... Well, I think, I, I think, I think are like they, we are saying. Getting, do you think people are getting their heads around that? that no, this is not, no, I, I okay. think sincerely, because I'm not sure. And I say that only from my own egotistical point of view, that mm. I'm not sure I do. Okay. Because I mean, that was the next question I was going to ask you. I find it hard to look at it. Yeah. But I check the numbers because my life is international. I check the numbers daily as part of my routine. I try and make it as like checking the news headlines, just a yeah. normal thing. And that's an insane thing to go, oh, oh, only a couple of hundred dead in the UK. Oh, that's a, that's a great day. Like, you know, yeah. how times change. Mm. But looking at the big picture scares the shit out of me. Yeah, scares the shit out of me too. You know? And I think that what also really worries me is people giving up. Yeah. Um, because I don't think any place is... Uh, is any, you shouldn't, nobody should give up. Yeah. Like right now, I think anywhere could decide that they were not going to accept what's happening yeah. and they could change that. Yeah. The problem, I guess, is that those places that are having really big issues, there is no um, leadership. Well, there are so many levels at which leadership needs to happen mm. that it's kind of not happening. So it's a really hard problem to solve. But I would, I would hate for people to think that, they, that there is no way out mm. and that they are just going to have to let it go and people are going to have to die because I think every country could, could change that. Every country could do what they, what they could do mm. to make this go away. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, what, I, what is very clear is that that's not going to happen. When you, when you do look at the big picture either for your job or because you're so wired to it now that you kind of glass go, ah, big picture. Mm. But what, what stops you screaming at the screen? Um, I am getting more and more in the kind of despondent thing. I'm, I'm naturally quite a cheery person and I'm naturally an optimist. Mm. So I think I'm, 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 my natural tendency is to go, okay, yeah. <laughs> it's getting bad, but <laughs> we can still recover from that. Um, and I don't know what, so I'm really struggling for myself because I've never really been, uh, I've never really been the opposite. I've never really been a pessimist. Mm. Um, and so I'm, I'm not sure how to deal with that actually myself. Yeah. I'm like, when I see those numbers, I feel sad and I feel this real heaviness. Mm. Um, and I don't, yeah, I, I, but I can't not look. I guess we all do that. We can't mm. not look. What, what I'm, um, 
what I'm looking at are the countries that are, um, you know, that have remained good, <laughs> that are yeah. remaining good. I'm looking at how quickly it can slide back. Mm. So we have that really well illustrated with Australia at the moment, which, you know, I would hope as New Zealanders, we'd look at that as somewhere close and mm. similar to us so that mm. we could see how quickly it can fall back. What I worry is that people then go, oh, well, that means we shouldn't try because it's inevitable that we'll fall back. And I don't think it's inevitable. So mm. I think that... Um, I really hope everyone just keeps that little bit of hope that we can do this. But it is hard because it is such a, you know, to really eradicate it, to get rid of this completely from the world requires global cooperation. And it's really clear we don't live in a world like that anymore. So, but that doesn't mean that we can't cooperate with countries that want to cooperate with us. But for the future, that looks really scary. That looks like two worlds. Yeah. Um, and if you don't laugh, you cry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I'm just grateful I'm in the world that wants to deal with it. Mm. But it makes me worry about the people who are, not, who are in the other world and whether we'll see them again or yeah. when we'll see them again. Or and, how you know, we'll and, and the worlds we're talking about are metaphorical. It's, 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 <laughs> it's one, one world, world and we're related to a lot of those people in the other world yeah. as well. So yeah. It is, yeah. It is a... Fingers crossed for a vaccine. Fingers crossed for a vaccine. Works, yeah. That's safe. That everyone can get hold of. <laughs> Is there anything else that you'd like to share in the shower? We ask this of every guest. Share and I don't shower. mean the chicken that you bought <laughs> to share today. Um, just thank you. for. It's been an absolute privilege to share your safe space. Um, thank you. And, and to be able to share a little bit more about me, I guess. And, you know... Um, when you become a bit more of a public figure, you know, this that people make assumptions about you and they don't really know you at all. And so mm. to have that opportunity, I guess, to share a little bit about what, um, who I am as a person. Mm. And also, I guess, to share um, my gratitude for everyone around me because I wouldn't be where I am without all of the people who support me. Yeah, but in the meantime, I will keep up with my baking. I will try and pledge to make some time for my Lego. Um, Absolutely. Because I, I do know that I can't, I can't go on like this for the time it might be needed for us to. Yeah, we still, we kind of still need you to yeah. be getting out there. So do recharge. I'll do my best. <laughs> Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Susie Wells, for coming in and sharing your chicken and sharing your time. And I hope that you are able to get more than five hours sleep <laughs> over the months to come. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Eating Fried Chicken in a Shower was produced for RNZ by Charlie Bleakley and Fruit and Nuts Limited. And presented by me, James Nokise. The engineer was Blair Stagpool. The executive producers for RNZ were Justin Gregory and Tim Watkin. Subscribe to our podcast however you just found this podcast. Or if you're listening on the radio, go to RNZ's podcast page and look for the chicken. And when you rate us, only give us five stars. Remember, more stars, more chicken. And if you want to share your safe space or comfort food, tweet me at James Nokise. If you need support, text 1737. Or for more resources on mental health, check the fried chicken webpage at rnz.co.nz. If you're experiencing COVID-19 related mental health issues, go to health.govt.nz and search for COVID-19 mental health and well-being resources. We'll also link to it on the RNZ page. 
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.